Well, at the end of our service times together today, across each of our locations, we are going to enjoy ice cream socials. So if you happen to be taking this service in online and you want to kind of mirror the full experience, you're going to have to get yourself to Dairy Queen immediately after this video ends. Uh, the reason we're having these ice cream socials is to celebrate together. The obvious question, especially if you're new, is what on earth are we celebrating? Now, is it someone's birthday that we're going to be celebrating together? Or are we celebrating the end of the school year, the beginning of summer? In that sense, maybe celebrating the last time we'll see some of us who happen to own cottages or have booked campsites and are uh, going to be around a little less in the coming weeks. You know, what is it that we're celebrating together is the question. And the interesting thing is that I would say the very thing we're seeking to celebrate today as a community through our ice cream socials is the very thing that the Apostle Paul celebrates with the Philippian church in this very last section of his letter to them. If you brought a Bible or uh, have a Bible app on your personal device, I'd encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4 and read along with me where we're going to pick it up in the last section beginning in verse 10. When he says there, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. This actually is Paul kind of landing the plane by finally getting to the point of the entire letter. And that is to thank the Philippian church for the gifts that they have provided for him. Remember, or if you're new and don't know what's going on here, that this letter is the product of a visit from a church member from the Philippian church named Epaphroditus, who traveled to Rome to visit Paul while in prison. And in that visit, he brought Paul gifts, kind of aid or support. And in turn, Paul provided this letter for Epaphroditus to bring back to the Philippian church and to read. And so it closes with some appreciation and gratitude for those gifts. That's why Paul says he rejoiced greatly that they were showing concern and recognizes that over the period of time in between, they were concerned, but it's only through these gifts that they were able to show it. That's kind of the point of the whole letter and the point of the passage that we're going to look at today. What's interesting, though, is instead of just saying thanks and being done, Paul spends considerable time actually digging into why it is that he's grateful for those gifts and what it is about what those gifts represent that Paul is truly celebrating about them. And that's what the text today seeks to dig into. It's important that we understand that in order to make sense of what he says next. Look at what he says in verse 11. He says, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying thanks for the gifts because I'm in need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him, through Jesus, who gives me strength. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. 
I don't know about you, but to me it feels like this is the most awkward way to express appreciation for a gift. To say, hey, thanks for the gift, but I need you to know that I didn't really need it. You know, it, it almost seems like he's ungrateful for it. And, and this is from a person, personally, who is one of the worst gift receivers you could possibly know. I make a mess for my family and friends every Christmas and birthday and any special celebration because I'm a terrible gift receiver. But I wonder whether I've ever received a gift as badly as it seems the Apostle Paul is receiving this one. And in order for us to understand what's going on here, we need to understand a couple cultural dynamics. First of all, when Paul takes this detour to talk about the experience of him developing contentment, he's using a lot of language that would be consistent with Stoic philosophers of his day. Stoicism believed in self-sufficiency, but what Paul is doing is contrasting Stoicism with Christ dependency with following Jesus and in landing with this Christ dependency if he can do all things through Jesus who strengthens him Paul is affirming that he actually doesn't need anything because everything that he's got he's got through Jesus but he says this recognizing that it was good of the Philippians to share in his troubles. It was good of them to provide that gift, even though he doesn't need it, because he's trying to do something, again, culturally in his day, where in Paul's day, the lowest level of friendship that you could experience was one that was based on need, particularly financial need, like a relationship with a donor or an employment relationship, one where you were friends because you had to because of your financial dependence. What Paul is doing here by taking the detour of contentment and uh, emphasizing his Christ sufficiency isn't being ungrateful. He's not downgrading the value of their gift. He's actually trying to level up the value of friendship that he feels with them because he doesn't actually need the gift that they send. What he's doing is leveling up above that bottom level of friendship to one of legitimate love and care. And he's saying that more than meeting their need, what the gift represents is a heart of love and concern where they, among all people, had Paul on their radar. That's what's so meaningful. That's what Paul is celebrating. Paul is celebrating their personal care for him. It's the personal care that the gift represents, that's what, that, that is what Paul is celebrating. Then he goes on and makes another kind of detour where he says in verse 15, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. Again, it feels like Paul is building them up and buttering them up and affirming the value of this gift that they sent, including the ongoing aid he's referring to, only to have a yeah, but at the end as if he didn't need it or wanted. And again, we need to understand what's going on here. First of all, 
Paul is elevating them above any other church community that he's been a part of. And he specifically cites his time in a place called Thessalonica, which is where he was part of planting and nurturing and supporting the development of a new church there, the church to the Thessalonians. That's where uh, Paul has written uh, some of his New Testament letters as well. But he recognizes that when he was in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians weren't taking care of his needs. But interestingly enough, the Philippians were, even though he was no longer with them in Philippi and in Macedonia. He had left there, it's about 100 miles away, and the Philippians were still making that trek to regularly provide him aid. They were still uniquely among all of these first century churches providing support to him. But his yeah, but isn't and a lack of appreciation for that aid. What he's recognizing is more than the value it provided for him, the value that he feels it provides for them. When he talks about more being credited to their account. It's as if Paul here is using like commerce, economic language, almost like investor language. In the same way that Jesus taught people to not store up their treasures on earth, not to invest their resources in this life for this life, but rather to see their resources, their time, their talents, their financial treasures as something ultimately to be stewarded, to be invested in heaven, to be invested to create interest for the next life. That's what Paul feels like they're doing here and what he feels is so significant about the gift that they've recently sent. It's not just his need that they've met. It's the personal, eternal investment they are making for them. That's what Paul is celebrating. He's celebrating their eternal investment. And then thirdly, he goes on to finally kind of directly address the gift that they've sent. And he makes another point there in verse 18. He says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Instead of just saying thanks, Paul is developing why he's thankful and why he's celebrating this gift. And in addition to what that gift meant to him, and in addition to what he feels that gift means to them, he adds a third dimension here in what Paul believes this gift means to God. And instead, this time of using, you know, stoic philosopher language, and instead of using commercial economic language, here, Paul instead is using kind of Old Testament worship language, where it was understood with the nation of Israel that when you brought a sacrifice or you made an offering to God, the way that God received that was by kind of absorbing the aroma that it gave off. You'd bring your offering, go to the temple, you know, bring it to the altar, light it on fire, and as it burned, the flames and the smoke would kind of create an aroma that, that God would kind of absorb and receive as a scent. And so what Paul is affirming here, on the one hand, is that this gift is not only a value to him and to them, but it's a fragrant aroma to God. 
And then at the same time, he recognizes that God is going to respond to their open-heartedness of generosity. That because they were so caring to him, because they opened their hearts and were so generous to him, that open heart was going to be reciprocated by God. And in the way that they met Paul's need, God was going to meet theirs as well. And what was happening, what Paul is recognizing and celebrating, is kind of this three-directional, three-dimensional interplay of spiritual blessing between them, Paul, and God. And at the end of the day, that's what Paul is really most celebrating, not just the personal care shown to him, and not just the internal investment they're making for them, but ultimately this spiritual reciprocity that is being facilitated with God. Paul, more than anything, is celebrating their spiritual reciprocity and the give and take of blessing and God's activity that their open-heartedness is allowing. That is the point of this final section of text. Not just to say thanks for the gifts that Paul received from Epaphroditus, but to explain why he's so thankful and ultimately what he's celebrating in receiving those gifts. That he's celebrating the personal care expressed to him. He's celebrating the eternal investment the Philippians are making in themselves. And he's celebrating this spiritual reciprocity of blessing because of their open hearts. And when you put all three of those together and then compound it over the length of time that he's enjoyed this relationship with the Philippians, I think you get to a bottom line of what Paul, to me, is ultimately celebrating. If I was to draw it on the whiteboard, I'd, I'd kind of draw it like this. Paul is saying their personal care plus their eternal investment, plus the spiritual reciprocity they're enabling, all factored over a long-term consistent relationship over time, results in something very special. What Paul has celebrated since the beginning of this letter, unique to the Philippians, as their partnership in the gospel. Ultimately, that's what this section is celebrating and in, in a lot of ways is bookending the letter back to front. Because at the very beginning of the letter, Paul introduced the letter this way in verse six or verse three of chapter one, where he says there, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because, why? Because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This whole letter has been one kind of love fest from the Apostle Paul to the Philippians, celebrating their partnership in the gospel. And what it inspires us to do today is to consider whether we can celebrate that ourselves. Of course, we understand the difference and the uniqueness between partnership and just, you know, living and relating as regular people. We know in a law firm, for example, you know, we have lawyers and clerks and, you know, administrators and whatever. There are then the partners who have a, a more significant stake, a more significant responsibility in the health and condition of the law firm. 
you know, we all know as, you know, customers at, at stores or people who uh, visit restaurants that there's a big difference between the customers and the employees and the partners who own the health and responsibility for this thing that we're consuming. That's the vision that Paul is celebrating and the vision that God would have us celebrate today, a vision where we celebrate partnering in the gospel together. But it begs the question as to whether that's how we understand our relationship with each other and even the way that we understand the church. Is that what the church is to us today? Is that what it means to be part of the church? Is that what it means to do faith in community? And is that ultimately how we see ourselves in that unique relationship as partners in the purpose of Jesus? No, the truth is a lot of times churches are treated by people the way that other companies and organizations and businesses or restaurants are, created, are, are, are treated. And that's with the cultural values of consumerism. And it would be worth, you know, kind of a few moments to just reflect on the contrast between what consumerism teaches us to think and what partnering in the gospel demands. You know, obviously, the church is intended to meet our needs, but consumerism actually has us center things on ourselves where we approach things according to what's in it for us. Partnership is very different. Partnership centers on others. Partnership with Jesus centers on those that Jesus centered on, and it results in a love expressed in personal care. Similarly, you know, consumerism is based on comfort. We only engage to the degree that we're comfortable. And so, you know, whether it's getting up on a Sunday morning or sharing in a life group or, you know, serving in a ministry or giving financially, you know, a very key component of what it means to be a partner. Do, do we do those just at the limits of our comfort level? Do we do them only according to where our comfort zones allow? Or do we see our time and talents and especially our financial treasures as things to steward in this life, to invest in eternity, to build compound interest for the next life? Because that's what it means to be a partner for the gospel. You know, similarly, consumerism you know, is embedded in the value of convenience. We'll kind of engage when we feel like it, if we feel like it. And it begs the question, is this how we relate in the church? Is this how we participate, you know, with our life group? Is this how we engage in the anchor cause of our location according to the convenience and our other priorities? Or have we embraced the spiritual potluck meal that faith and community is intended to be and have opened our hearts fully and generously to others so that we've opened them to God so that God can reciprocate blessing both to and from and because of our open-heartedness? Are we facilitating the kind of spiritual reciprocity where God can work? These are the questions that we're left asking ourselves. And at the end of the day, these are the things that God wants to celebrate among us today. This is at the end of the day what an ice cream social is about. We're not just celebrating summer. We're celebrating the gift that God has given us in each other and the rarity of the opportunity that we've been given because of Jesus to partner together with him and each other for his purpose in the world. As incredible as it is that Jesus came and died and rose again to allow us forgiveness and the opportunity to a new life to follow him personally, 
We've been given an extra opportunity to do that together and to put Jesus at the center together and to encourage and nurture and stimulate each other's journey towards Jesus. And as we do that together and together to a greater degree embody Jesus, we can increasingly live out the primacy of his life of love in our day and age and place in a time and a world that desperately needs it. That's what we get to celebrate together today. The opportunity to center on Jesus, to embody his life by incarnating love together, only because of what Jesus has invited us into. We can choose to treat that consumeristically. We can choose to kind of engage in a way that centers on us according to our comfort and our convenience. Or we can choose to engage as partners in the gospel, as partners in the purposes of Jesus, who focus on the personal care of others, who focus on the eternal investments that we can make with our time and talents and treasures here in this life, and the spiritual reciprocity that we can experience as we open up channels of blessing through our hearts of hospitality and generosity. Gang, when we do that, when we open ourselves up to relating as partners in the gospel, that, Paul says, is something we can truly celebrate. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we look forward to celebrating across our locations these ice cream socials, which are more than just celebrations of summer, they're celebrations of the rarity of the gift that we've been given in each other and the opportunity through you to be partners with you and with each other in your purposes in the world. Before we do that, though, we want to stop and engage in another celebration of sorts that recognizes that all of this opportunity and all of this potential to celebrate comes from you. You've given us this ceremony called the Lord's Supper that recognizes your body that's broken for us and your blood that was shed for us to create what you call this new covenant, this new relationship of faith that we can have by you and ultimately only through you, that together with each other, we can celebrate right here, right now. So as we prepare, first things first, to follow this message with communion, I pray that we would reflect a spirit of celebration and gratitude in you. And I pray, Jesus, that that would then translate into warm-hearted, wonderful ice cream socials where we can celebrate because of you the gift that you've given us in each other. And we would be inspired today all the more to engage in partners with you in your purpose to ultimately incarnate love in the part of the world where you've placed us. Make us those people and fill our hearts with gratitude today, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.